All right. Good morning to you again. Again. Thank you so much for coming today. And as you know, if you've been coming over the past weeks, we're right kind of in the last third of our series on the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, it's, it's kind of like our waistbands are ever expanding. You know, I, I got to think, I said, you know, I had, I had lying and coveting together. And I said, you know, I think there's enough lying going on and enough coveting going on. We can make those two different sermons. So we just had another week to the message, see? So now we're all the way through the, the end of September. So, so it, I don't think we're going into October, but you never can tell. And by the way, let me remind you something. I've not said anything about this for a long, long time, but at the very beginning, we put a container out on the welcome counter and said, if you'll put your name in that, you can put it once a week. Every time there's a sermon, you, put, you add your name, you get like nine chances. But we have a really nice uh, plaque here with the Ten Commandments on it, and we're going to give that away on the last Sunday of the series. So if you've not done that in a while, I guess... You, if you've been here, you could go back and put in five different, you know, your name five different times. But anyway, we'll be drawing for that on the end of the series, which is, a, again, I think it's going to be September 27th. Now, we've been talking about the last several weeks about David and about Bathsheba. And you're kind of going, now, Dwayne, whoa, 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 whoa. You said you're going on the Ten Commandments. How does that tie in? Well, you know, if you watch TV, if you watch insurance commercials and you, you hear, you know, like satellite TV or, or cable, they're all about bundling. Well, what we did was we bundled up uh, stealing and adultery and murder into one message. And then we tied in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy and then what we wanted to do was we wanted to bring that into our lives in the 21st century. How could that tie into us? And what we did was we decided David, I decided David would be a great example. This has got to go. It's just got to go. You saw it. I had it on, okay? All right. You're happy. I'm happy. Very good. All right. So we thought David might be a really good way to, to bring that up. Um, David, a lot of things were going in David's life. I got, I got to counting this morning, and that one incident, David probably broke like six of the Ten Commandments. Maybe all of them. Maybe all of them. And so we wanted to talk about that, how that happened. We talked about last week. It was really, it was a hard message. It was really a hard message because we talked about the discipline of God. Because, you know, we had to deal with, with David and Bathsheba. We had him arranging for the murder of Uriah going on. Um, then, of course, we had the, the time when Nathan came. But in between that was like, well, 10, 11 months. And it kind of described that, that 10, 11 months, it describes what was going on in David's life during that time. What was God doing not to punish him, but to bring him home? And he was building his resolve to come back home, to come back to God. So that was last week. And today, we want to look at, I think, it's got to be one of the most powerful scriptures in the Old Testament, particularly, about the the drawing, the loving, the forgiving of God. And, of course, that has got to be Psalm 51. So that's where we'll be spending our time. We're going to get the first 13 verses of Psalm 51. And it is just so powerful. It is just so powerful. It, it's kind of like this. Y'all know that next year, in 2016, we will be observing the fourth anniversary of the terrible tornado that tore through Harrisburg just a couple of blocks from here through Harrisburg. It happened on February um, the 29th, and incidentally, next year will be leap year, so it will be served on February the 29th. It happened at 4.56, 4, 5, 6 in the morning. Uh, they had forecasted bad storms coming through, and it developed really out, outside of town, even beyond the middle school, and just came through and just tore a path of destruction in our town. Tragically, eight people were killed. I still look back at that time, and it's just amazing the carnage and the suffering that happened in our little town of Harrisburg. And so we started the re repairing process, the re restoration process. And somehow in, and this is not a political statement, but somehow in this process, um, I was working with Rod Wallace, and we were working about how can we help people rebuild, how can we buy trailers and things. And we found out that because of the way state law was written, that if these people's homes were demolished, that when they rebuilt, they were going to be assessed at the new value of their home. And property taxes were going to double for a whole lot of people. 
And somehow that just didn't seem right. And so we, uh, particularly Rod, started contacting our state officials, and they agreed. And, and uh, some people thought it was right. Some people thought it was wrong. But the bottom line is, Rod, I, and Nikki Pavlonis made a trip to Springfield. And we met with the committee, uh, the House committee, that was going to discuss this bill. And uh, we, we met with them. We introduced ourselves, and we talked. But the task fell to Mickey to speak to the committee. And I called her this morning to make sure I had permission to share this with you today, although it's a matter of public record. And that day, Mickey, Mickey has such a wonderful rapport throughout the state, a reputation. Um, but that day, she shared her heart and how that the carnage that was caused by the tornado and how she had lost her home. And Jean and I were discussing this morning, we went and saw them after the tornado, and how, um, how they were standing in the foyer and watched the roof disappear off their house and realized he was staring off into space. And so Mickey shared how hard and how difficult that was. And then she said the most magical words. I think probably it swayed every person on that committee. She said, gentlemen, I think it was all men. She said, gentlemen... Simply, we're like Dorothy. We just want to go home. We just want to go home. We want to be able to build a house and call it once again home. And the rest of the story is that the bill passed almost unanimously in both houses. And because of that incident, when a family is struck with a tragedy of natural causes, then they don't have to face that huge tax increase. But I compare that storm after the storm, to the storm in David's life. A storm of his own making. A storm when he chose to rebel against God. And a storm when he chose to disobey God. And all the carnage and all the destruction that happened that. And you've got to ask the question, how do you come home after that? Now, I want to make sure you understand, in David's case, yes, it was adultery. In David's case, yes, it was murder. Yes, in David's case, it was a lot of things, but... Remember, I said, what is your Bathsheba? What is it in your life that you're withholding from God and you're hanging on to and say, God, no, this is mine, almost in a state of rebellion? And I think I shared with you how that, you know, the Bible says in Song of Solomon 2.15 that the little foxes spoil the vine. In other words, we, could, we don't have to have a nuclear bomb go off morally in our life that when we allow small sins to accumulate and to accumulate and somehow we grow used to them, that it leads to a great path of destruction. And we find ourselves a long way from God. And you've got to ask yourself the question, how do I come home? And I need to pause now and let you know this. You know, if you're here today and you're not even sure why you're here, maybe somebody promised you lunch, maybe you thought it was time to go to church, I, I don't know. But if you're here and you've never heard the great gospel of Jesus Christ, it all began a long time ago when we were separated from God. We were sinners. And the Bible says on our best day, we were totally separated from God. And, and God allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a Roman cross, kind of similar to that one. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin was death. And Jesus died for our sins, that we could have forgiveness of sins, and that we could come into relationship, we can come back into fellowship with God. It's so cool because it has nothing to do with, with Baptist or Catholic or Methodist or baptism or good works. There, there really is no giant scale out there where if we tilt the scale in the right direction, we get to go to heaven. If we tilt it in the wrong direction, we have to go to hell. There is none of that. It's all this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's all a story of God's wonderful, amazing grace. But here's the deal. That's true if you've never trusted Christ, but it's true for each of us that God wants us in full fellowship with Him. And that's what Psalm 51 is all about. You know, I don't know if your Bible has it, but, but my Bible has a little, little header title, if you will, before you even get into the Scripture. And here's what it says. And again, it was transferred from the Hebrew. It says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. That, have you ever thought about that? How weird that is? 
that, that we have, like being your hymn book, you know, the story of the hymn right there when this guy did this and the guy did that. Well, David, for all of us to read for, for centuries and centuries and centuries, but in, the, in the Hebrew songbook are these words. This is a psalm of David written after Nathan came to him and said, You are the man. You stole Uriah's wife. And Uriah died at your hand. How's like that printed in your hymn book? How crazy is that? And the reason that's important is that David, one, God didn't want this left out. But I don't think David did either. Because David understood that even though he had gone through the storm, that maybe telling his story and how he came home would keep you from going through the storm. I think David wanted it there because he knew the impact it could come on people's lives as they drifted away from God and they needed to come home. You see, this whole, this whole confession and repentance thing is huge because you've got to understand something. One, it's huge because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you should love God. You should love God. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you really understand how much God loves you. God loves you. But there's also this fact, and I don't think we get this. Let me prattle a while, by the way. I know I'm prattling, but it's good prattle. Don't ever lose sight of this. You know, we kind of teach this thing that as far as the east is from the west, so, so have you forgotten you've cast our sin away. And we almost kind of like God gets amnesia. You need to kind of understand something. Those scriptures, all of them, that talk about God you know, casting our sin away, that's talking about the penalty of sin. When I, when I stand before God, the question of my sin being forgiven is not up for grabs. I am a child of God by God's grace. As far as the east is from the west, the penalty of my sin has been removed. But very clearly, God just doesn't forget about sin. I mean, after all, we'd have to rip Psalm 51 out of the book because every time he opened his Bible, he'd go, Bathsheba? What was, what was up with Bathsheba? I remember that. No, see, there is accountability. Not for the penalty, but for our lives. And that's, that's huge. I, I think sometimes we get the idea, because I've experienced God's grace, that when we get to heaven, we're all going to get a pat on the head. Well, there's this little thing called the judgment seat of Christ. Where Paul very clearly teaches there is an accountability for sin. Not the penalty, but an accountability for our lives. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So this is all very important because of our love for him, his love for us, and the fact that we will be held accountable for the way we live. So, so we have this psalm, and this is after David. And Nathan approaches David and says, you are the man this is how David comes home. And this is how we come home. And it begins with, in verse number 1 and 2, David appealing to God. So let me ask you a question. How do you appeal to God? I mean, you know, when you know you messed up. I mean, you know your anger got, got the best of you. Your tongue got loose. Your body got loose. How do you come home? How do you appeal to God? You know... Sometimes I think we're just a little cocky. Do y'all remember the game Uno? Yeah, it's Uno. It's Uno. Is, that, is Uno the one where you got the colors? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then there's one card everybody wants. You know what it is? Wild card, draw four. Not just a wild card. Wild card, draw four. Here's what that means. That when you get that dude, you can take it. And you can call the color and make your bad guy sit across from you, your opponent, draw four cards. It's blue, draw four, baby. And sometimes I think that's kind of how we approach God with this thing. We think that when we come to God and confess our sin, okay, God, I'm here to confess, but it's on my terms. What? You don't confess on your terms. You appeal to the character and nature of God. And, and we love to, you know, God, your word. We've got to say it like this. God, your word says, if I confess my sins, you will be faithful and just. Forgive my sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. And I don't care how many times I've committed adultery. God, I'm going to claim it. What? Why? It's like, okay, God, you've got to do it. I've got a verse on you. No, 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 no. Can I hear an amen? No, 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 no. You know, we, we have to approach God like this. Look, look what David says in verse 1 and 2. 
And this is the Holman Christian Standard. And boy, I'm so ingrained with the, with the King James or New King James. But this, there's a couple of words here I just wanted to get. Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me, God. According to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Oh, that's the word I liked. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. See, he appeals to the nature and character of God. He says, I love, I love the word mercy. Oh, be gracious to me. God, have mercy. God, have mercy. You see, what David deserved was not what David needed. David deserved the judgment, the discipline, and the wrath of God. All sinners do. But David appeals to God's mercy. And says, God, please don't give me what I deserve. You ought to be incredibly grateful that God doesn't always give you what you deserve. Man, God, don't give me what I deserve. God, give me what I need. And what I need is your amazing grace. And when we fall flat on our face, when we fall flat on our face, and don't you sit there and say, I've never fallen flat on my face. Uh Uh-huh. When you fall flat on your face, we need to appeal to the mercy of God and say, God, I know I deserve something else, but I'm appealing and I'm asking for your amazing grace. I, I appeal, God, to, to your faithful love, to your, uh, to your um, steadfast love. Oh, don't ever forget this. Look at me. God loves you. Listen, if you're lost today, if you're outside the family of God God in this age of grace extends his love to you like I just shared with you. For God so loved the world, he gave his son, he sacrificed his son, that if you're willing to receive that gift, you could come into relationship. But listen, God loves his children so much too. He loves you. He loves you enough to discipline you, to bring you back to him if that's what it takes. We saw that in Psalm 38 last week. David was not being punished. David was being wooed and drawn back into the fellowship with God. Oh, God, I appeal to your faithful love. I, I pray for your abundant compassion. You know, every once in a while, y'all, y'all know that I, 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 I got that sign that says, Thou shalt not whine, but I whine sometimes. And you know, I was sitting there, I think I shared this on a Wednesday night, I was at the hospital. You know, and, and, and there's this, this young man in one of those motorized wheelchairs and not, not trying to be funny. His feet were up in the air like this and his feet were puffy and red and, 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 and sores. And he was leaning his head trying to see beyond his feet. And it's like God shouted at me and said, Dwayne, do you think you can be grateful for your life now? And as I turned the corner, an elderly gentleman stood up, really about my age. But life has not been kind to his body. And I watched as he took a walker and shuffled his feet about four inches at a time. And it's like God shouted again and said, Dwayne, do you think you can be thankful now for your life? Oh, listen. God loves us. He has sent this incredible love. And all you've got to do is look around. He, he has compassion because he not only sees broken bodies He knows we're a broken people. He knows it's a broken world that we live in. And that's why he sent his son. And that's why he extends his grace. Listen, again, I said over and over again, God gave us this book. Not not that at all. This is the book of life. If you, you know, if you want the best life God can give you on this earth, (laughs) Mr. Joel Sin would probably disagree with me. Your best life, your best life now is right here in this book. It's right here in this book. I'm telling you what, if you don't read the book, you need to read the book. If you read the book, you need to meditate on the book. And if you're meditating on the book, you need to apply the book. Now listen, listen, I love you, I'm your pastor, but we have got to become a people of the word, not a people who claim to be a people of the word, but people who are a people of the word. It's our benefit, it's our benefit, it's our benefit when we learn to obey this precious book. My, my goodness. My goodness, he has compassion on us. And, and, and in his graciousness, in appeal to his mercy, and appeal to his love, and appeal to his compassion, he says, I want you to, I'm asking you to blot out my rebellion. Blot it out. 
It's, it's the idea of God writing a book and then dumping a bucket of ink on it. Blotting out so it can never be read again. Listen to this wonderful verse. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way and nailed it to his cross. That's what God did for us spiritually. He blots out. David cries out and says, God, would you blot out my failure? He goes on and says this, Lord, would you wash away my guilt? And literally in the Hebrew, the idea, the concept of washing away, you know what it is? You're not going to believe this. It's the washing of clothes. Literally, in the Hebrew, it's what the word means. When they would get their, their filthy garments, their filthy garments, and they would wash them and make them clean. David's saying, I know that I am filthy spiritually. I'm asking you to wash me and make me clean again. Isn't that beautiful? Over in Isaiah chapter 64, verse number 3, the Bible says that all our righteousness, all of us on our best day, all that we could possibly bring to God, and we say, God, but look, I did this. Look how good this is. He said, that's all filthy rags. And filthy rags in that context are the rags of lepers wrapped and filled with infection. And God says, on our best day, left to ourselves, that's what we are. But David says, you, 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 God, I can't, you, God, can make me clean again. Isn't that powerful? Come on, isn't that wonderful? Incredible. Then, then he goes on and says this, you may cleanse me from my sin. And, and this Hebrew word, it means it's the preparation for going to the church. It's the preparation, the purification for going to the temple. It's what we do. So, you know, today, you, some of you came in here and you, you had on your coat, your tie, your bottom line, you dress for church. Whatever that looks like for you. Whatever that looks like for you. You dress for church. And David says, help me to prepare for church. Help me to prepare for worship. Cleanse me so I'll be prepared for worship. Very powerful. Beautiful imagery. Lord, I'm appealing to your mercy. Lord, I'm appealing to your love. Lord, I'm appealing to your... Now, see, you don't see the, the, four, the wild card draw four here. You don't, you don't see David stomping. I'm going, okay, God, king of Israel. This country, for the first time, is now united. Israel and Judah are one. This is a prosperous nation. This is a nation that, by and large, now follows you, and it is me, baby. You don't see that. You see a broken man with a de debris field after the storm behind him appealing to the, to the graciousness, to the mercy, to the compassion, to the love of God. Asking, please wash me. Please blot out. Please prepare me for worship again. And listen, that's the attitude we've got to have. We have got to get over this puffiness. We get so puffy with God. Come on, someone say Amen. Now, I'm not talking about being fat either. We are puffy with God. We walk into the throne room of God too often telling God how good we are. And we forgot how depraved we are. He goes on and says this. So good. He goes, for I am conscious. Here's the word. Here's the word. This is why I chose Holman Christian Standard. This is it. I am conscious of my rebellion. I acknowledge my sin, but I am conscious, the Holman Christian Standard says, of my rebellion. When, when, David's, when David looked on that rooftop and saw that woman bathing and chose to bring her to him, he was in direct rebellion to God. Do you understand that? Whether it's adultery, whether it's larceny, whether it's hatred, whether it's bitterness, whether it's lying, whether it's whatever it is, you name it. When you choose that, you're in direct rebellion to God. The word treason comes into my mind. You know, is anyone here named their kid Benedict Arnold? I would like for you to meet my son Benedict. His middle name is Arnold. You just don't see that. Because that name is associated with someone who committed treason against his own country. And when we willfully, willfully rebel against God, we are committing treason against God. And it's just as you know 
I have. I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is ever before me, God. When I open my eyes, I see this Bathsheba Uriah thing. When I close my eyes, I see the Bathsheba Uriah thing. I remember the days when I would sing songs of praise and now I'm full of groanings. My sin haunts me. Can I ask you a question? When's the last time your sin haunted you? When's the last time you were so brokenhearted? You know. Again, it's so often the sins of the heart that look good on the outside. But inside, there's anger and jealousy and bitterness. All these ucky things. When's the last time they haunted you? When's the last time you felt so compelled to take action with God because you couldn't think about anything else but getting right with the Father? And you know what I think keeps us from doing that? We forgot how good it was when we were in fellowship. See, in your marriage, in my marriage, slowly and surely you've drifted apart. And one of the reasons you don't want to come back is because you forgot how good it was. And as believers, I think sometimes we forget how good fellowship with God was. And we settle for this second best, this, this, this religiously thing, this religious thing called going to church. And we're, woohoo, I got a relationship with God, I go to church. When's the last time you whispered the name of Jesus in your quiet time? When's the last time you, you whispered the name of God and it was just Amazing. Amazing. So he says, he says, Lord, Lord, my sin's haunting me. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. He finally came to grips with it. I shared this on a Sunday night some months ago. And we talked about the fact, don't lose sight of this. He sinned against Uriah. Uriah was dead because David wanted to control the outcome of his foolishness. Uriah was dead. David was really guilty of murder because he wanted to control the outcome. He had sinned against Uriah. He had sinned against Bathsheba. I totally reject. I totally reject. I totally reject the idea of the thought that somehow Bathsheba was a willing party. Now, there's no indication in Scripture of that whatsoever. You've got to remember David was the king. And the king always got what he wanted. He had sinned against his family. He was, David was, the, David was the, the priest of the family. David was the example to his daughters and to his sons. He sinned against them. And they had a debris, debris filled of their own because of his folly. He sinned against the nation. <laughs> you don't hear that too often with presidents, do you? Sin against his nation. Israel and Judah were one, but one day they would not be, and some of it bled through because of this folly he had. But most importantly, and don't lose sight of this, most importantly, David says, I have sinned against you. And when we, when we choose to sin, when we choose to rebel against God, when we choose to create treason with God, we are sinning against holy God. We are, oh my goodness, we are sinning against the one who died on the cross for us. We're sinning against the one who bled and died, who took the scourging of a Roman whip. We're sinning against the one who had a crown of thorns platted on his head. We are sinning against the one who became sin that we could become the righteousness of God. We're sinning against that person. David came to grips with that. That's what I said. It's important to remember how much God loves us and how much we should love God because of what He did on that cross. It should really motivate us. Guilt is a terrible motivator, but love is a powerful motivator. Powerful motivator. Against you, and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And then, this is so important. I mean, this thing is just full of important truth. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. I want you to know, God, I agree with you. How was the last time you said that? See, don't, come on, don't we normally do this? Don't we kind of justify ourselves before God? Don't, don't we sort of kind of go, well, God, you don't understand? You know, you know God, God, really, see what happened was, it was a weakness of mine. It wasn't a wickedness. I was just weak in a moment, and therefore I sinned. No, it wasn't weakness. 
It was wickedness. That's what it was. Um, um, God, listen, listen. It was an, it was an accident. I, I didn't mean to go up on the roof and look. No, it wasn't an accident. It was an atrocity. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a mistake. It was a deliberate act. David says, I agree with you. Can I challenge you as your pastor? Tomorrow morning when you have your prayer time, when you get on your face or when you get on your knees or you sit in your chair, wherever you are, agree with God about your sin. Don't try to justify it. Well, Dwayne, you know that. God, you know that pastor. Well, God, you know that teacher. Well, God, you know that deacon. Well, God, you know that boss. No, come to grips. Come to grips and say, God, I agree with you. You were right. It's sin. It's sin. And God, you are right in your sentencing. When you pass sentence on me, I deserve it. I deserve it. You're right and I deserve it. I know if you chose to give me that, I would deserve that. No matter if I'm king of Israel, no matter if I've been a pretty good boy, the truth is I sinned and I deserve it. But then he goes on. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mama conceived me. Hmm. David says, I want you to know something, God. This all started when I was conceived. I was in, listen, the day I was conceived, I was in need of a savior. I was born with a sin nature. I later sinned by choice, but I was born with a sin nature. Have you ever noticed that? How many of you said, how many of you got kids and you tell your kids, okay, I'm going to teach you how to be selfish. You ever have a class on that? Isn't it amazing how you don't have to say a word and your kid goes, you can't have that, that's mine. <laughs> One day, I read a story about a kid who said to his daddy, you can't have my french fries. I said, let me tell you something, son. I bought those french fries for you, and my money bought those french fries. Those are my french fries. I'm just letting you eat them. Isn't it funny you don't have to teach your child about selfishness? Why? Now, you know what's, you know what's funny? How many of you have to teach your child to be kind? Isn't that funny? You know why your child has those natural bents and tendencies? In sin, I was conceived. We are born with a sinful nature. And God gives us that new nature when we're born again. Amen? Amen? So, so he says, you know, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mom conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in myself. Not, not this lie I've been living. God, you don't, you don't desire the life of the living where, where I pretend that I'm, I'm righteous and holy and I'm not. God, you don't want the plastic you want the real. It would go so far in the church if we would learn to be authentic. See, I know some of y'all want a plastic preacher. You cringe every time I say, let me tell you what's going on in my life. Well, I tell you what. I think it's more important to be authentic than plastic. It's more, it's more important to be authentic than plastic. If we could learn to be real, it would change the whole tenor. Judgment would disappear from the church. The rock chuckers would either have to change or go to another church. If we would just let ourselves be authentic and real. Lord, you desire this integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. You taught me. He said last week in Psalm 38, because of my foolishness. But God, you have teaching me wisdom. The power of wisdom. In my life. So he says one more time. In verse 7. He says. Purify me with hyssop. And I will be clean. This is so powerful. This is so powerful. The hyssop branch. Was used in the purification process. And when a, Brent, when a leper came to the temple. After he had been cleansed of his leprosy. He still had to have a spiritual purification. So the, the ex-leper would come to the temple and the priest would take the hyssop branch 
he would dip it in the blood sacrifice and sprinkle the leper, former leper, seven times with a branch. And by the way, seven is the number of completion. Completion. So David's saying, I'm asking you like a man with spiritual leprosy. I'm asking you to take the branch and symbolically make me clean. Sprinkle the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. I know the world doesn't understand our infatuation with the blood, but the blood of Jesus Christ is so precious. Because of that spilled blood, we are made whole and complete. There's power, as the song says, there's power in the blood. Lord, cleanse me with the hyssop brands. He was on, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Listen to this. Come now, prophet Isaiah says. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Lord, wash me and make me whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. How's your heart? Let me say it louder. How's your heart? David was a man of song. And during that nine or ten month period when he was away from God, he became so bitter, so angry, so much a groaner and not a crooner. And, and David now says, Lord, let me have the joy again. Bring me back to being a man of the song. Let me be the worship leader again. Let me be the, let me be the, the band leader that walks down the road singing and leading your people in praise again. Turn your face away from my sin. And blot out all my guilt. He was asking symbolic. He's saying, God, I know you're looking at me. But, but, but turn your back so, so you don't even see this rebellion. And you have to fast forward, you know, 1,500 years from then and see this. As the sky turns dark, Jesus is nailed to the cross. As the sky turns dark and darkness Overcomes the world. Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that day, Jesus, God did with Jesus what David's asking God to do there. He turned his back on his son so he'd never have to turn his back on us. Because Jesus became sin that day. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin that we... This ought to just rock your world. That we might become the righteous of God. God the Father turned His back on His Son so we could be redeemed. In the same way, in the same way, David's saying, God, turn your back on my sin. He says, I will and I will. I will now for you. But one day I will for the whole world. One day my son will be nailed to a cross. He will bleed. He will yield his spirit. He will die willingly. And I will turn my back on him because he will become sin. So the price of sin could be paid. And that's why you do Operation Christmas Child. Because this is the message of the gospel. God doesn't care if you're black, white, green, or yellow. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor, what country you live. He died, Jesus died, that we could have forgiveness and restoration and healing. Wow. Wow. Lord, turn, turn your back. Turn your back. Create this clean heart in me. You know, my friend Larry Reed, we've mentioned Larry several times recently. But when Larry got his new heart... You know, Larry's heart, in case you don't know, Larry Reed had a heart um, transplant a long time ago. And, and his heart, a virus invaded his heart and so damaged his heart that he could not live with it. He had to have a transplant. Can you imagine if the doctor walked in and said, well, Larry, 
You want the good news or the bad? And Larry goes, well, what's the good news? The good news is we found you a heart. And Larry goes, oh, that's great. What's the bad news? It's as bad as the one you got. Wouldn't that be crazy? See, David said, God, whatever it was in my heart that allowed me to do this, I don't want that heart back again. Create in me a clean heart. Give me a new heart, God. I don't want to do this again. One Bathsheba was enough. One Uriah was enough. When will we learn? We say, God, give me a clean heart because this is enough. This is just enough. Create a clean heart for me. Put Put a steadfast spirit. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these shall endure my sight. I will hasten to you. God, put a steadfast spirit. God, whatever spirit that was that caused me to stay in Jerusalem, whatever that spirit was that caused me to go on the roof, whatever that spirit was that caused me to look, and whatever that spirit was that caused me not to say no, I don't want that spirit. I want a new spirit. I want one that has a new hunger. Not for adultery, not for lust, not for power, but for you. But for you, but for you, do not, do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. This is simply a cry out. This is like a crying out. He saw what happened to Saul. Saul rebelled against, against God, did not repent, and, and Saul was removed from office. God, don't put me on a bookshelf. God, don't put me on the bench. Give me the privilege of serving you again. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. Oh. I told a friend, this is one of those transparency times. I told my friend about a month ago or five weeks ago, whatever it was, I said, I just seem to have lost my joy. I seem to have lost my joy. That can happen if you're not close to God. Can I have a witness? Anyone ever been there? The things you used to crave spiritually, you don't crave anymore. You don't crave the Word. You don't crave the preaching of the Word. You don't crave prayer. You don't even crave going to church. All of a sudden, golf on Sunday morning sounds pretty stinking attractive. You stop craving your godly wife for what's on the other side of the fence. You start justifying. And David, David could remember. He could remember when nothing mattered but God. He could remember when he was the worship leader. He could remember when he'd sit down with his scroll and his pen and write the songs of God that became the book of Psalms of how great and how awesome God was. He said, God, I want that back. I want that back. Restore the joy of your salvation. Wow. In verse 13. This is so important. We, we, I, I know why we don't do this. I get it. But can you just think with me how different the world would be, the church world would be? Then, then, after you've applied your faithful love, your compassion, your mercy, after you've blotted out and washed away and cleansed me, after I've acknowledged the fact I'm conscious of my sin, um, after I've done this evil, I know I've sinned against you, I've done this evil, I, I realized I was guilty from the get-go, from the very beginning, uh, after you've washed me with a hyssop branch, after you after you make me whiter than snow, and I hear joy and gladness again, um, after you create a clean heart in me and a steadfast spirit, and, and you don't banish me, you don't put me on the bench, then... Then, I will teach sinners. David says, Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. David says, God, if you will do this, we're going to have a testimony service. And I'm going to tell stories of your grace. You remember the guy who... 
who was let down through the roof when Jesus was like walking on the earth, and Jesus heals him, and he rolls up his mat and takes it with him. You know why he took the mat with him? That was a stinking mat. Hey, dude, what's up with the mat? I used to lay on that. That was my home 24 hours a day. And then I met Jesus. It's never easy to share. But I'm just telling you this. How are people going to know the grace of God if they never get to hear about the grace of God in our lives? When are we going to help by God's help, are going to be a little more transparent and be able to say, listen, here I was, and this is what God did. Now, here's what the crazy part is. Let me tell you the crazy part. We're good about our salvation. I was a drug addict. I beat my wife. I was addicted to porn. But then I met Jesus. Yay. We're pretty good at that. But what about, well, I was a Sunday school teacher, and I fell into porn. A little harder, isn't it? You know why? Rock chuckers! You, man, if we confess that kind of sin in church, preacher, if this is you, you'd be out of a job. Well, it's not me, so we're cool. But you know why? Because the church people will chuck rocks. Because we're a judging group. You know, James, what did James say? Confess your sins one to another. Whoops, we forgot about that verse. I'm telling you, there's power in this, guys. And, ooh, 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 you want a testimony for the world? Let me tell you a testimony of the world. When, when, when we can stand up and say, look, I'm not perfect, and I fell into this sin, and the world goes, and they didn't throw him out. They didn't throw him out. The world goes, I want some of that. Like I say, if you're serving beets for lunch, don't invite me. But you got any pecan pie? Four nine nine zero zero seven zero. Call me baby. That is so extra world. That's extra worldly. This concept of God's grace and forgiveness and acceptance and love. Woohoo! Wow! 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 So how do you come home? Well, we won't go through it again. But it's Psalm fifty one. It's going to God with that excuse and saying, God, I have sinned against you. And it's broken my heart. I'm asking you to forgive me as I turn away. And again, when the prodigal son got home, if you're a churchy person, you know the story. When he got there, daddy wasn't waiting with the belt. He's waiting with a hug. When are we going to learn that if we'll come clean with God, our fellowship will be restored? You won't find a belt. You're going to find God's amazing grace and love. David did. Can I have a witness? God has in our lives, hasn't he? Sure he has. Sure he has. So my bottom line is this. If you're here today, and again, you're not really sure why you're here, but you are here, and, and you heard for the first time, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought, I thought this was all about rules and keeping rules, and you had to be good. If not, they kicked you out. And, and I thought, you know, you had to be good to go to church. Some of y'all think I'd be perfect to go to church. No. And you heard today that it's all about a man named Jesus who died, who became sin. So that every man, woman, and child, black, white, green, or yellow, rich, or poor, Southwest Acres, or Barnett Street, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's no giant scale that you have to keep it going in the right direction or else you don't make it. Yeah. Yeah. And my friend Brent's going to be waiting down front in just a minute, and he wants to tell you all about this Jesus. All about this Jesus. We'd love to tell you the love story that God has for you. If you're here today, and it's February the 29th, 2012 for you, and there's a debris field in your past, God wants you to help you deal with the debris field. 
And if you'll go to him and say, we just want to be like Dorothy. We just want to come home. When you say, Father, I want to come home, he's going to open his arms and say, welcome, child. Welcome, child. Why? Why? Why would you stay away from that? Why would you settle for some form of second best or third best when the Father waits to open His arms? This is our time of decision. It's your time with God. I'm going to ask when we stand in a few moments, please don't leave. Please don't move. You've got 10 more minutes. Let God do His work. It might be in your life. It could be the devil wanting you to leave so you don't have an opportunity for God to touch your heart today. Everyone, just say, say, Father, okay, thank you for this truth. And if I don't need it today, I just might need it tomorrow. <laughs> Burn it in my heart, God. Burn it in my heart. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your great wisdom in including this wonderful story, this hard story in the Bible. It's hard because of adultery and murder and, Father, the way the consequences impacted the family and the nation after, long after David's life. But it's wonderful because of grace. For my friend who has never experienced that wonderful grace, perhaps he or she's been told that you could never love them and that is a lie. You do love them. Bring someone to yourself today. And God, for all of us, and I do mean all of us, your children, don't let us settle for second best. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts today. Let us receive your amazing grace. Let us receive your healing. Let us receive your restoration. Today, Holy Spirit, oh sweet Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in the lives of God's people. Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.